I've got a surprise for you guys. Welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the podcast that makes time and space to think about pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, anything of interest to time poor but enthusiasm rich primary teachers. This week, I'm joined by Christopher Such. Hello again. And Lloyd Williams Jones. Hello there. I've got a surprise for you guys. I've got some impromptu questions. Oh, yeah. Relaxed, opinion based questions. Um... Relaxed opinion-based questions, my favorite source of questions. So I'm lo- I'm looking at format diversification, and I was listening to the rest is politics, and because someone shared said they mentioned mastery, but they just seem to be rolling off these questions and just going, here's a question, here's a question, here's a question, and we get loads of questions, you know, and they just sort of went through the episode answering these questions. So I've got three questions that get asked quite a lot, and I'll throw them your way. So like I said, it's opinion-based, and we'll see what it's what it's like. So a little bit different. First question comes from our Discord, and it's for it says question for people who work at schools. Were you summative assessment tests, for example, NFER, Puma? Although I'm sure others do exist. Do you report the results of these tests to pupils or parents? And if so, what form does this take? See, I'm in the I'm in the great situation where right now where I don't work in a school, so I can say, haha, I don't. So fairest thing to do is me to think about the way that we used to, like, used to do these things in the past. Generally, no is the answer. We don't report these things. Um, we might talk about, we obviously use these to inform conversations about where pupils are at, you know, pe- parents evening, um, reports, this kind of stuff. But it would be a rare case where I'd be saying your pupil, uh, your pupil, your child is um has a reading age according to this summative assessment of nine years and three months and they are actually nine years and seven months which means yada 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 very rarely would i be um reporting that stuff directly to parents the exception to that would be sats because parents are that much more invested in those results so we tend to share those as soon as they're received don't know if that's different uh, your place lloyd or anywhere you've worked no i think that's the same i think you legally have to report the sats don't you do you have to give them the scaled scores? I think you have. You're not allowed not to. I think there's um, a slip that gets printed out from yeah from the DFE. It's, yeah. it's, you generated it via the oh that was a whole the DF. I've just got I've just had awful flashbacks of the DFE hull music. <laughs> I can like that gives me PTSD. So I can't. I can't <laughs> it's invoking awful memories for me of like hours sitting in the office trying to get through to somebody. Anyway, anyway, but yeah, no. I'm with you with you 100 on that question. Like we wouldn't we wouldn't give out the the scores of summative assessments. We, we like I say we obviously would use those in in people progress discussions and to, to to you know look at it as a signal built up with other things. The te- you know the, uh, the the knowledge from the teacher, the, the all all the other the attendance, all the other bits and pieces that we would say you know f- the feed into to give a signal of where a child is with a particular subject. Um, but no test's perfect, and I think it's uh, it's really important to remember that. And I think it's important that you know we, what we can't do is stop a child going home and saying, "Yeah, I did this on a test," or that you know I got this, or I, I, this went well, this went bad. 
uh, you know, we can't hide it from parents. They know they've sat tests. So I think it's, it's you know, you can't, you can't shy away from that. But what, what you can do is try, uh, what I would su suggest potentially is, is, is do what I've just said there and, and explain to them, you know, that the tests are, no, tests are, are problematic by their very nature and performance versus learning and, and this all, you know, and this, this, this whole side of things and try and explain that in a, maybe in layman's terms to, to a parent, you know, just say, it, it, you know, it's not that they don't matter. They do matter. They, they feed in. But again, to use the analogy that I think it's um, uh, Jamie Pembroke uses in terms of that signal, the signal through the noise. Um, so, yeah, that's probably where I'd sit on that. I mean, one of the things about them, you know, in terms of validity and reliability and stuff, is the idea that sometimes there can be no stakes for pupils. And obviously, if there are no stakes, well, I'm not going to bother. Is there ever a situation where you sit down and say, look, you've scored four marks in this test. We know you know more about mathematics than this would suggest. Would you, know, would you ever use that as a motivational tool? You know, to say, you know, you're much better than this. I don't know if I'd phrase I've, it in those exact words. I've certainly asked children to sit a test again because they weren't in the right frame of mind, um, because something, you know, you realise afterwards that, you realise at the end of that day that they're not, they've not been well. There are all kinds of circumstances where I, I've said to, you know, actually give this another crack. But then I've, you know, going back to Lloyd's point about tests not being, um, assessments always being imperfect in their attempt to try and work out where a pupil's at with a given um, subject or a given capacity, you can you can do that, but you then have to bear in mind that, okay, they've probably already seen this test. This means they've had a little bit of extra time on it and this kind of stuff. So you might then adjust. There are exceptions to the, you know, not tending to inform parents. Uh, again, as Lloyd says, we're not hiding this stuff. If a parent says to me at the start of the year, I, I know, you know, I know my kid's going to do loads of assessments. I really want to know how he's getting on with them or how she's getting on with them. Fine. I'm happy to communicate it if asked, but as Lloyd says, big effort in, uh, is going to be made to say, bear in mind that these are, um, yeah, these aren't going to give you a particularly accurate picture. It's perfectly possible for a child to, for it to look like on the basis of a single test, like they've not made progress, just as it's possible for it to, for it to look like a child has made ridiculous progress. So, yeah, you have to, if, if, if you do have a parent or carer who asks that stuff, you've got to get in early and say, bear in mind that this could show incredible progress or reverse progress because, yeah, it's one data point and there is a lot of, to use your phrase or to use James Pembroke's and other people's phrase, there's a lot of noise in that signal. I think I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit on that in... I know you said about potentially getting in early and saying if they request it. What happens, though, when then another parent gets wind of it? Well, you told them, they had it, can I have it? How weird does it end? Then siblings, oh, they've been told about it. So from just from my, with my leadership hat on, yeah. having a party line of, we don't do this as a school, is that maybe a, a way where we can prevent teachers being in a difficult position because, well, you said they, they did it. I actually had experienced that in my previous school. I had a teacher give, give back a paper to a parent to go through the, because they requested it and said, oh, I'd like to go through the mistakes. Noble, very, you know, great parental engagement. However, opened a can of worms because then we had 
I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't the leadership of that. Well, I was in leadership, but I wasn't in the position where I was making decisions on that at that point. And 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 I saw it unfold in a bit of a nasty, you know, it got a bit ugly. So I, I you know, I'm not sort of. Yeah, no, I, don't, I, but I, I get just, where you're coming from. Yeah. I get where you're coming from. I would say uh, if you have a consistent position on it as a school, obviously as a teacher, stick to it. If that position is isn't clear, or if the position is, if parents ask for test results or you know test papers that kids have done. If as a school, your position is, if they ask for it, they're entitled to it, then stick to that. So it might be one of these situations where if a parent asks, you go to a member of SLT first and say, actually, but generally it's pretty rare that from my experience, the parents want the detail on this stuff. And if you feed it back, like if, 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 let me give you an example. If a parent then came to me and said, well, you've given that information to that parent. Why haven't you given that to me? the simple response is, oh, here you go. <laughs> if you ask, you can have. I'm not, as long as it isn't something that's kind of generating um, like large amounts or any work for the teacher, then I, if, and if it doesn't kind of contradict the school policy that says otherwise, I don't see a problem with them going, no, I'm happy to feed that back. You can always caveat that with the reason why we don't tend to feed it back is the same reason I gave to this other parent or carer, which is we don't think there's individual results it actually is a particularly useful thing. The reason it's useful to us is it gives us views across a whole cohort. It gives us views across a whole year group, across a whole school, which is where we get a more reliable way of looking at things. So, yeah, I mean, again, as I say, if there's a, if there's a consistent school policy, stick to it. If there isn't, it might be worth asking SLT. But if in doubt, my view is there, it's not a piece of information that I'd be that worried about not sh about sharing with parents. Yeah, it could be one depending on your demographic. I think that could be a, yeah, a, a that situation. Is a good point. I imagine in a private school, you would be like, we feed this back to everyone or no one. Shut the door on that. This why, it's why I raised it because yeah. my current school versus my previous school's demographic are very different. So, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I get that. Yeah, I get that. I, that is, that might just be me revealing the context that I've worked in. Next one's an interesting one. Anyone know where to go for high-quality plans related to high-quality texts? As in, if you're reading, for example, Cogheart or Once, where would you go to help with planning that? Um, you know, because lots of teachers will be reading the book or, um, and then planning the questions, but is there somewhere you can go that has all of this already mapped out for you? Um, you know, so they can move away from just looking at strategies to more discussion-based guided reading cases too. Not going to lie, um, I, I, if, if these places exist, I've forgotten them. And the reason I've forgotten them is intentional. I, I want teachers reading the book. I, I, like Anything that stops you reading the book and going, this is what I think is interesting to explore here with my class, um, I, I avoid, please. I, there are areas where I don't mind, where I'm kind of quite open to other forms of like to, to plan to um, people adapting planning of all those areas. I think reading is the one where I'm most reluctant to, to see that as, as valuable because half of the planning is reading the book in the first place. And anything that stops you doing that is um, probably not for the best. So there might be websites out there, possibly. I just have perhaps intentionally forgotten them. Yeah. I got, I got nothing. Sorry. I do have a question for Chris though on, on that idea of, okay, so we said books, Obviously, we 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 use a um, our reading approach comes from a book called The Art and Science of Primary Reading, 
um, which I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, however, we use we use pressure. Obviously, one of the one of the difficult challenges the schools face and is the costs of photocopying and the costs of having sets of books. Yeah. Now, one of the one of the trivial things that we find a bit difficult when we do have the books, at least you said today about, is ruler tracking. Sometimes books are really hard for children to like mm -hmm. ruler track when they in books. I'm just throwing some random stuff at you, Chris. See what see what see what your response is. We're looking today, and we were thinking about like you know having that. Is is it worth the layout of nailing down, like putting some money out? You know, and it's expensive, isn't it, for books? But then it's also expensive, really expensive, to be printing and time consuming as well for for for, for that. What's your thoughts on that? Um, so when it comes to the um actual kind of novels that you use in the class sets yeah they're expensive um compared to a lot of stuff they're not that expensive you know number of schools i've spoken to have said oh we haven't got money for books and then you realize they've got 30 ipads right like, well 30 ipads are pretty expensive you could have bought books for every every uh, key stage quite comfortably um but first port of call if in doubt paperback rather than hardback because you can open the front out you can fold them across secondly i know we tend to have like the 30 centimeter rulers but the half kind of 15 centimeter rulers are quite useful for that stuff or if in doubt just go in you know what there doesn't need to be a ruler it's the idea of tracking you know finger down the middle of the page but so it's it's the idea of the person who is um impaired reading the person who's not reading or in class reading when a teacher's reading and you want pupils to be following under the under the circumstances you want that to happen it can be a finger down the middle of the page it can be a finger following it doesn't have to be a ruler it's just one way of going about things so if you find that actually we're using a hardback book don't want to fold it open it isn't quite working in this way finger down the middle of the page works just as well or the 15 centimeter rulers because then you don't end up with that big bit of ruler sticking out the other side yeah, in those practical terms, I would say in terms of like the just the, the financing of buying books, there are ways around that. I mean, it's more challenging if you're a one form entry school, I think. But if, say, you are a two form entry school, it can be possible to buy, say, 15 copies of a book and then stagger when reading is done. That can be a useful thing where you if you've got one teaching assistant supporting um, a year group. Um, who can then be in one class or the other class for when you're doing reading for where you need extra support. Um, so that can be useful for that as well. But you can end up with, you know, we just need 15 sets of this book and that's a half term of that class novel. When it comes to nonfiction, that's more tricky. But I do think that um, you can, if you invest a bit of time, you can generate texts yourself. You can copy bits and pieces from uh, online um, online encyclopedias and change enough of that stuff to avoid copyright issues um, you can find stuff that's freely available and then say you know what this is a part of one chapter this is short enough that we're allowed to photocopy etc um, and then make a booklet because once you've made it and yes it might only last three or four years before you've got a photocopy of the whole thing again but if you can get your non-fiction texts for year three or year four or year five into a booklet and then it's kept then it's ready for the next year. It goes in a fold and, the, and, and saving, all, like you can also, dare I say, school photocopying is not cheap compared to 
sending it to somewhere else and saying, look, we've got this. You send it to a, a, an external company and say, look, it's a foot. It's um, we want this in a booklet, A4, front and back. It's only black and white. I want you to do this whole thing. Much often, much cheaper than cheaper than doing it yourself in a school. Um, so there are ways around it. There are ways of saving money. I'd say the key thing is your non-fiction stuff over the space of two or three years. Get a collection together for year three, for year four, for year five. Ideally, in some way tied into your curriculum. Get it into a booklet. Get it photocopied. Then have like have a set of them. It can then last a few years rather than you photocopy a sheet. It goes in the bin. Um, yeah. So that'd be my advice. Pure gold. If we take nothing else from this conversation, it's the non-fiction booklet printout is pure gold. I think the only point for clarification is that the paperback over hardback rule only applies to other people's books. If you're buying any of my books that are available in hardback, do buy the hardback because uh, I might get more than one pound. <laughs> £917 a copy hardback from Amazon. Pushing 98 for tackling misconceptions for some reason. <laughs> I found out, actually, there's a good, like, at least, I think it was somewhere between, I, I can't remember the number, but it wasn't none. Somebody out there has bought a hardback copy of my book. It wasn't just the two that I've been sent. So it's like, yeah, exciting stuff. Nice. So, I didn't even realise yours was on there. Hardback. Yeah, it was um, like originally it was 50 quid. And that was the annoying thing. It was like you'd go onto Amazon, you just go in, and the first one that comes up is there. It's 50 pounds. It's like, no, <laughs> don't, don't have that one as the one that loads up because people are not going to pay 50 quid for, yeah, my book. But yeah, you know, some people were, were quite keen on the old hardback. Nice. Sits proudly on my shelf. Mine was in your toilet the last time I checked, Lloyd. <laughs> don't know what that says. You don't even mean the room. You it's, mean gone. The <laughs> oh, it's gone now. All the pages have been used. <laughs> Jesus, Lloyd. So one final one. I'm taking over year six, leading year six. Are there any potential sticking points that I should be aware of before I get started? Yes. Quarreling children. People may think that in year six, they pass that phase. You will be dealing with that from the minute they come in to the minute they leave. And particularly, it starts to ramp up on social media. This is where they start to really get their teeth into. Um, and, and, and as much as like we should be always pushing the messages of, they shouldn't have TikTok accounts. They shouldn't have WhatsApp. They shouldn't have, you know, under the guidance. They do. And it's very, it's not impossible to police. They do have these things. I think having really, really strong messaging right from the word go around um, uh, social media and particularly like social platforms and groups where they message each other and things is really important because. There is not a there is not a year six in the land where there hasn't been an incident between uh, between between these things, and I think it really does. And I'm not saying it, it happens in year five as well, but it, I do, I don't know. For, for my experience, it particularly ramps up in year six, and I think as they're heading towards secondary, they're starting. They've got one eye on that, and I think be prepared to be to be getting ahead of that stuff. So because it can get it can get really messy and and difficult. So mine's, yeah, a bit of a random one, but just be mindful with the old social media. Oh, there's so much. I spent the first kind of four or five years of my career in year six. Um, first is 
there'll be pressure either from SLT or just from, you know, other sources for to make the whole year about SAS practice and push as much as you can push back against that. Um, obviously, you want kids to be to feel ready for the assessment, the way it's going to look, etc. But SATS prep isn't actually a particularly useful way to get kids to do well on SATS, not on its own, certainly. Um, so yeah, push back against that. Also, the other side of that, after SATS, there tends to be a lot of um, what feels like dead time. Where it's like, oh, we've done SATS now. We don't need to teach maths anymore. We don't need to do writing anymore. Or, or we've been through local authority moderation or that deadline's passed. We don't. Yes, you do. <laughs> You're still a school. Um, and there are lots of this isn't to say, you know, completely abandon the joys of rounders Ooh. on the field in an Ooh. afternoon. <laughs> Chris, Chris hates children. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but you're still at school and it shouldn't be. They shouldn't arrive in year seven not having done maths for four, like three and a half or four months. It's just not right. Um, so, yeah. Um, link to Lloyd's thing about um, quarrels. That's a hormones thing. Hormones are kicking in for some of those kids. So be ready for all the uh, the onset of puberty and tails, including air and not limited to air freshener. I would say one thing to try and guard against is the idea of uh, year six. Often in every school I've worked in, there's been at some point someone said, oh, well, you know, year six, they're, they're like a separate kingdom or they're, you know, a little world unto themselves. Try not to let that happen or try to push back against that, that you are still part of the school. Yes, there are SATs bits that you have to deal with, though, of course, year two have to deal with those as well. But you're still an integrated part of the school. It's very easy for to, to, to see year six teachers in every staff meeting where someone's saying, well, actually, this might be a nice thing that we can do in history to see the year six teachers nudging each other going, nah, not in year six. It's like, yeah, yes, yes, in year six, you're part of the school. So try and keep them feeling like they are part of what's going on. Sats shouldn't change everything um, as it can sometimes do. There's loads of stuff I could mention as well, but those are the things that just kind of jump out to me immediately. It's the same with EYFS teachers, what you're saying about sex as well. They are part of the school. They're not their own island. And I think, I know it's nothing to do with the question, but I think it's worth saying that, you know, the amount of times I hear leaders go, yeah, you know, referring to one to six and then just tacking EYFS on the end, you know, all subjects are born from EYFS. So like must include that in the journey and like not give them a year six treatment as well. I think. Hey, well, it kind of works the other way around in my experience in that it, it, you're absolutely right that you have that sense of, um, you can have that sense of separation whereas the difference is in year six you're like no you're still part of our curriculum <laughs> like be part of it you are part of this school stop trying to separate whereas it's almost the other the other problem the other end of the scale with EY, with eyfs they do have a separate ELGs, um, yeah, they do yeah. have a separate curriculum and it's almost there's a often a, a desire to feel more involved with the rest of the school because professional development often is done in a way that doesn't relate to EYFS or isn't relevant to EYFS or begins with the person saying, I know this isn't relevant to you in reception, which isn't a great way to begin professional development for anyone. So yeah, there can be that disconnect. The difference um, is in my experience that year six are kind of pulling away intentionally. And I feel like I can say that because I spent half my career in year six and, I, and I've taught in year six in a few different schools. So, you know, Love year six, love year six teachers, 
but try to be more involved and try to be more part of everything else rather than your own separate world if you can i agree as well that's my experience i spent the majority of my my time in the six as well and and the multiple schools and uh, yeah that i'm a little bit seen nice i think um, by the time this actually goes out the person who posed the question will have um been in post away. for that escalated quickly will have been in post for quite a while so, um, i hope things are going well for them and anyone who has this on the horizon uh yeah can can learn from you guys and your your wealth of experience i mean funny enough i didn't spend that much time in year six um i spent a lot more time with the younger children um and i didn't think because my first year group were year five and i thought you know that would that would be my sort of bot area but i actually spent a whole lot more time in early years and key stage one that you might think didn't get promoted to year six then <laughs> no, I was never good enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't did get that all that pay rise that automatically happens. You know that proportionate depending on the age of the children <laughs> you teach. Yeah, yeah. No, I started. In, I I started first few years in year six, and then had to force my way out of year six because once you're comfortable there, um, head teachers tend to be quite happy to keep you keep you in year six because other people don't want it. So I forced my way down to kind of a year three, four mix and then briefly year five and then forced my way down to year two and also got a chance eventually to do some year one and reception teaching. But yeah, a lot of time in year six. Nice. Thanks, Ed. Be really useful. Um, all of those questions came from Discord. I think if anyone would like to ask questions, Discord is probably the, the best place. I mean, our email address is thinkingdeeplyinfo at gmail.com. Also use that but I wouldn't necessarily bother as much with Twitter anymore because Twitter's a bit of a mess. And thanks for that, Elon. Cheers, buddy. Um, all I said to do is say thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much, Chris. Thanks for having me again. Thank you, Lloyd. Thank you very much. And everyone at home, until next time, thanks for listening. But I listened to any of the day and it was all, this is quite good because it's just going bomb, 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 bomb. I liked it. I liked it.